Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to remind us before we begin and go before the Lord to ask for his blessing on the sermon today. I want to share with you, um, it, it, again, I, I want to reiterate, I want us to keep thinking about this. When we come up here to do our prayers and petitions, remember the layout of our service. We have the call, we have our confession of sin. After the confession of sin, corporately, we are ascending into God's presence, into His throne room, by the mercies of God. We can't see it. We see hard walls on either side of us, but we are in the heavenlies, by the mercy and grace of God. And at that time, we are then ascending, and we are singing, and we are worshiping Him, right? We sing, and then we bring these prayers of petitions, these praises, prayers of thanksgiving, and we come before the Lord. If you're concerned at all for the world around us, you know that when we come and we pray these prayers of petition, we are, as uh, Jonathan pointed out here this morning, um, just as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, His bride, we are to bring as the priests of the world prayers of petition. That includes not just the needs that we have, that's very important, but does include all the things that are going on in the world and for our leaders because God's Word commands us to pray for them. So that is why we talk about these folks in these prayers. It is because it is God's instructions to us. I just like to encourage us from time to time to think and understand why it is that we are doing what we do. Please pray with me for the preaching of God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, may the meditations of all our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Remember, we are in the Easter season. We are in a 50-day season to educate our pessimism and doubt. Think on that for a moment. If we're all honest, we have doubts from time to time. God has given us 50 days in this season, this Eastertide season, from Easter Sunday to Pentecost to remind us and to educate us against our pessimism and doubt. Therefore, let me say this to you. Christ is risen. So, I want to remind us again, we're working on this passage in John, John 20, John 21, for the last several weeks. I want us to remind us of the context. We've got to understand where we are in things. The scriptures are not just pieces where we cut out, we do a little piece. Oh, I understand that all the way in isolation from the rest of God's word. We see that there is creational language in the resurrection. We have the first day of the week and it was dark. We see and understand that in John 17, Jesus said to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not ascended to my Father, but I go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. There is restoration that is happening here. It is not merely resurrection for the sake of personal, oh, you should feel better. No, 
This is because now through the work, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we see that we are no longer isolated from God, but we, as a, the people of God, are now can say to God our Father, and that this is truly our God. And remember that, that this was really important for the disciples to hear because they had all fled and forsook Jesus. Again, we remember in verse 21, we see the breath of life, again, thinking creational language. So Jesus said to them, this is when he appears to the disciples, peace to you. Jesus again reassures the disciples that despite their sins against God and even himself, he is at peace with them. And he says, as the Father sent, has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, this creational language speaks to us, understanding the breath of life that comes only from God. We understand that Thomas was not with them. And so when Jesus appears again to the disciples, he says, peace to you. There's no longer war between the Father God and the people of God. There is peace. And remember, at the end of the last sermon, we received as a church this charge. Are you living your days as if Jesus is resurrected? Are you living knowing that you have been commissioned to share the gospel to the people around you? Are you celebrating God's peace to you through the work of Jesus Christ? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' Father is our Father, and Jesus' God is our God. Now we come in today's Gospel reading to the third appearance to the disciples. And we heard that this morning, and so we're going to break that down just a little bit here this morning. I want us to think about these words. And here we are at the beginning of John chapter 21, and we're going to begin with verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. And so Jesus shows up at the Sea of Tiberias. That is a particular side or region of the Sea of Galilee. And we see in verse 2 it says this, that Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He is returning to his roots. He is doing the thing that he always knew how to do. Even though Jesus has showed up twice and said, peace to you. Even though Jesus has breathed upon the disciples the breath of new life. He's still not sure what it is he is to do. He's still working through it. And so what does he do? He does what all of us do. And we go to what we know. He goes to what he knows best. He's been a fisherman. He's a pro. Sometimes when we are stressed, what do we do? We kind of feel like sometimes we're in a holding pattern. Maybe without direction. And so we busy ourselves doing mindless 
things. And sometimes there's, there's, there, they're good things, but they're still not with the purposes of God in mind. We know that Jesus had spoken peace and breathed new life of his spirit upon them. And why did he do that? For the purpose of sending the disciples out as Jesus had been sent out by his Father to bring the good news of peace and reconciliation to God the Father through the Lord Jesus. Consider this if we look back. It says this, that they were working here. We're going to look on and it says, this is, they said to him, this is the disciples, we are going with you also. So they all went. And obviously, some of those folks were in fact already fishermen. But you know, sometimes when you're, when you're muddling around and you can't figure things out, you feel like you're groping around in the dark, you run into other people and they start groping around with you. That's what the disciples are doing. And they went out immediately and got in the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. When we are not about our Father's business, nothing we do is profitable. Let us consider Psalm 127. It says this, verse, beginning with verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late. To eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. So, I, I think sometimes we tend to think, well, these are spiritual things that this psalm is dealing with. We've got to get out of our mind that there are two worlds. There's not a spiritual world over here, and then there's the rest of my life over here. These principles fit all of our life. There is one life in Christ. So unless the Lord builds his house, you can get up early, you can stay up late. But if you are not working towards the purposes of God throughout your life, God is not going to bring profit to it. You actually work in vain. I find it interesting at the end of that verse 2, it lets us know that if we talk about building and working and, and, and not being in vain, that it is the Lord who brings sleep. That is, he brings peace so that you are able to rest even though you are working hard. I think it is interesting too if we look at Habakkuk chapter 2. There's a prophecy to Judah and the rising powerful nations that are there that are wicked. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Behold, is it not the Lord of hosts that the people's Labor to feed the fire, and the nations weary themselves in vain. The things they're trying to build, the fires that they're trying to do, all that their efforts, they do it in vain. But if you've ever read this passage before, I love verse 14. This is a critical understanding. Even though the world is working and pushing hard and doing their thing, they are laboring in vain. But verse 14 of Habakkuk chapter 2 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In contrast to the raging efforts of the world, just like we see in Psalm 2, God is sovereign. Jesus is Lord. He is king over all. And the knowledge will cover 
the waters of the sea. With this in mind, we need to remember Israel's call. We need to remember that from the very beginning, God called Abraham to be a people of God, but not simply that, but to serve others. He was building the people of Israel up, the people of God, so that they might be the priests to the world. And in this, he gave us patterns. We see in the book of Genesis, the garden, the lands, and the ends of the earth. That is to the sea, because we have the garden, right? Then we have the land, and what's flowing through there? The rivers of life. And they go to the four corners, and where do the rivers all go? To the sea, right? Again, we see this same pattern when God instructs the people of Israel on how to build the tabernacle in the temple. He says this, it's set up in the same way. We have the Holy of Holies, we have the courtyard, that is the land. The Holy of Holies is the garden. And the world, that's the four corners of the earth. And yes, there's even a river flowing out. If you look at, in the beginning, in the tabernacle, they had a small basin for water. But when Solomon builds the grand temple, he builds this great big basin called the Bronze Sea. And it's so large that it has uh, bronze oxen, the, the site of strength. And by the way, oxen are clean animals, right? Representing the idea that the people of Israel were holding up the sea, the waters. They were bringing life. And from that big bronze sea, where the waters, the rivers of life are flowing out, we see that there's also these water basins laid out in front, right? And, and it's, it's the whole picture, and it's all facing the door. It's all facing the door out from the land all the way out to the sea. Let us consider this. In Numbers chapter 6, Aaron gives direction to, to bless Israel. And it's not simply to bless Israel, but to be the priests of the world. This is a progressive thing. God is leading them along. And of course, I've said this a few times here recently, but you know, we do the blessing, and that is the blessing that, that Aaron is instructed to give the people of God. But Psalm 67, I want to read this to you to put it in context here. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. Again, you'll see that same blessing played out here, but it goes beyond this. God is helping them see. He's pushing them to see His intent. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Remember, as we have studied the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus is constantly calling Israel to repent and do as they are commanded to be the priests of the world. Remember, even when Jesus cleanses the temple, that the issue was not simply that they were doing some sort of commerce there, that was going to be necessary. 
The problem was that they had set up their money changers and selling stalls in the court of the Gentiles. Instead of serving others and teaching the Gentiles of Yahweh, the most holy God's law, they left no place for them at the house of God. This is important for us to recognize. We return back to John chapter 21. And remember this. See in verse 4 it says, But when the morning, again contrasting night and day, darkness and light. Right? But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Do you see this pattern? Right? Mary couldn't see Jesus till Jesus called her name. They could not see Jesus. They kept being blinded. The, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were blinded. They could not see their call. They could not see Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Now this term, children, here is really means a child recently born. Think about that in terms of when the, Jesus breathed life on them. They are recently born to what God has intended for them to do. He gave them, took them from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh when he breathed upon them. And he says, have you any food? Remember, think back this just for a second. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, God creates man hungry. He creates Adam hungry. How do we know that? Because the first thing that God says is, look, you can eat of all this stuff I have provided, but not, not that one thing right there, not that one tree. He knew that they were hungry. He created them hungry. And here, they're still, they have the breath of life upon them. They are searching. Have you any food? He's going to meet their needs. And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Where did he plunge? The sea. Remember that. Remember our context of sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of fish. What is he doing? He's dragging the fish to the land. He's bringing the fish into the courts of the Lord. And look at this. 153 large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. There's a great deal going on here. These professional fishermen could not catch anything. Why? Because they were laboring in vain. Remember that the fish of the sea are understood as the Gentiles in the Old Testament. 
Ezekiel 43, verse 7 says this, the restoration, and this is about the restoration of worship. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. That would be land. Where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, by the glory of harlotry with the carcasses of their kings in high places. But listen to this in verse, and this comes in, it's, it's all one prophecy. All the way to, to Ezekiel 47. Verse 1 says this. So there's correction. They're not doing this thing in the land. They're acting wickedly. And then you get to the part of the prophecy in Ezekiel 47, verse 1. It says, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. Where? The door of the temple. And there was water. What water would that be? The bronze sea. Flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer, outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with, his, with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters. And the water came up to my ankles. And again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. And the water came up to my knees. And again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water. And it came up to my waist. And again he measured 1,000. And it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep. The water in which one must swim. A river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me back to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the valley where it enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, what happens? The waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. And there will be a very great multitude of what? Fish. Because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. Again, if we want to understand this context, we need to look at Revelation chapter 21. Remember, we've talked about the garden. We're talking about creational language. Now we're going to look at the very end. You will hear me say it to you again and again. If you don't get the first three chapters of the Bible right and the last three chapters of the Bible right, you're going to be very confused about the middle. Here in Revelation 21, it says this, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from where? The throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of what? Life, which bore twelve fruits, and each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. By the way, I'll just make a plug real quick here. We studied Psalm 1 and introduced a little of Psalm 2 this morning in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school, you're thinking about all these things in the tree planted by the water. This is what God is doing with you and I. We are the trees bringing fruit that, never, that always produces and the leaf that never withers. This is exciting. One commentator says this in John 21... Peter catches 153 large fish. Clearly these large fish speak of the nations of the world who are going to be caught in the net. The net is the kingdom of God focused in the church. 
Notice this. The net does not break despite the large number of fish. The church will not be destroyed by the nations she converts, but will hold them and bring them to Jesus as Peter does. As the net draws the fish, so Jesus draws all men to himself. Now it's very interesting, returning back to John 21, we see this. Now when Simon Peter heard that this was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Now this is real important. This is in contrast. He is now coming to Jesus. He's, he's, he knows that Jesus has spoken peace to him. He understands these things. And he, he throws himself into the sea so that he can get to Jesus. We need to contrast this, however, to another time. If you go back and look at Luke chapter 5, where we see that Jesus comes out and, and they had been fishing all night, same scenario, and Jesus tells them to cast their net over, and they pull in this fish, and there's so many, they've got to get a second boat, and both boats were nearly sinking. What happens there? When Peter recognizes who Jesus is in this way, he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. The human experience is to say, Oh my goodness, I'm by the Holy Lord. I must flee. I must get away from God. Instead, now that we're post-resurrected and the Lord has breathed His Spirit upon them, He rushes to His Lord when He realizes who it is. And He jumps in the sea and He goes. Peter labored all night working just in a small garment. He puts on his outer garment just like the priest would take off his garment for the messy work of the slaughter of the sacrifices, but would put his garment to go in the Holy of Holies to present the blood to the Lord. Peter now plunges in the sea. So imagine this. Remember we talked about this with the linen garments that Jesus left and the priestly work and how the, the priest would take them off when he would come out of the Holy of Holies. So he's going, he, he puts on the linens, he jumps in the sea, he's now going to the Lord Jesus, right? He's going in. Peter plunges into the sea, having put on this garment to present what? The work that the Lord has given him. All of these fish. Jesus set Peter up as the head of the church, as the next high priest. Now that he had done the work. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. It can be understood when we think about these fish that the specific number of 153 encompasses all the nations of the world. The triangular number um, of 17 is 153. The numbers 10 and 7 in scripture denotes completeness. Now, I don't want to try to make a big debate on all that. If you're interested, I've got an article I can pass to you. But regardless, we do know that Jesus has called his disciples to be fishers of men. Right? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. You see all this imagery going on, what God is telling us? He says, for they were fishermen. And in verse 19 it says this, Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So coming back to John 21, we see in verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 
153. And although there are so many, the net was not broken. The large fish of the Sea of Galilee can be as long as 30 inches and weigh 15 pounds apiece. That's nearly 2,300 pounds. And even though they were somewhat floating, you know those fish were flopping around and creating some resistance and drag. So have you ever reeled in a big fish? I want you to imagine 153 30-pound fish. And you know, they weren't all going the same direction. Right? Peter's got them in the net. And he is pulling them. The net doesn't break. Through the Spirit, Peter could pull this moving heavy mass to the shore. And the nets did not break. God is showing us here that even with the momentous size of discipling all the nations, that He, through the Spirit, will both give us the strength and the tools to accomplish His will for the nations. Returning to John 21, verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, this feeding of the bread and fish reminds us and the disciples of his miracle of feeding the 5,000. Luke chapter 9 tells us this, But when the multitudes knew it, basically where Jesus was, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the disciples had come to him, they, you know, the disciples then came to him to send the people away. But in verse 13 of Luke 9, he says this, this is Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. He's already telling them that they're going to have a call to give the people those that are hungry, those that God is calling, food to eat. And they said to them, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes. Unless we go, buy, go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now, I, you've heard this many times. What about all the women and children? This wasn't just 5,000 people. This was a lot of people. And it seems a momentous task to feed 5,000 people with a handful of fish and a handful of bread. Wow. And Jesus says, and I like this, this is so calm, make them sit down in groups of 50. Right? You think about that for a second. Jesus says, now just relax. Let's try to make it a more manageable size. Let's just put 50, groups of 50. Right? And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, okay, Maybe we can somehow stretch this little bit to the 50. But even that seems like too much. And what did Jesus do? Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. What did Jesus do? Through prayer, he asked God to do these things. It's, it's through the Father's work, not our own strength, that these things will happen. That the nations will be discipled. That we will have bread to give to the nations. And what does it say in verse 17? They said they had nothing to give them.
God, Jesus goes to the Father and asks them to feed, and it says, so they ate, they all ate, not some, they all ate and were filled. Not just filled, but 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. That's amazing. God didn't just barely meet the need. He did it in a great and magnificent way so that there was enough for everyone to be filled and leftovers. Imagine our cup running over. Amen. He said to them, this, this is important. If you go keep in that passage in, in Luke there, it says this, that following this, this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asked Peter, he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, Christ the God. And, and then, in verse 23, it says, And he, that is Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, this is going to come into play here in terms of context, all these things fitting together. We see that there are three times that Jesus is doing something here with Peter Back in John 21, in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he, that is Peter, said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, by the way, I don't know about you, but I know when my mama called me by my, both my names, I knew I was in trouble, right? You're getting, I'm, I'm getting your attention, Daniel Jackson, right? So Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He, that is Jesus, said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? Now, of course, Peter here is grieved most likely because these three inquiries that Jesus does reminds Peter of the three denials that he did. Of all the things and struggles that Peter had, like any of us do, it was that place where, where he swore off Jesus under the pressures of life. Now, he was in a public place. By the way, the only two places in, in uh, the New Testament where uh, these coals that you see that Jesus has the fish and bread on, the only other place that that shows up is when Peter is standing around in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house and it talks about they were warming themselves by the coals. That can't be by accident. So I say to you that Peter was grieved because Jesus was getting to the heart of it. The first layer, the second layer, the third layer. So Peter is grieved. But what does Jesus say? And he, that is Jesus, or no, he that, and this is Peter. And he says, Lord, you know all things. He's saying, you know what? You're sovereign. I can't argue with you. You know my heart. You know that I denied you three times. You know that I love you. And Jesus again says, 
feed my sheep. Jesus is saying several things to Peter. First, I am restoring you in complete fullness to be the priest to the nations. The sheep are clean animals, by the way. So Peter will begin as the earthly head of the church in Israel and to the Gentiles. But once the church is established, he will turn it over to James. That's Peter will. Turn it over to James in Jerusalem and then Paul to the Gentiles. Feed my sheep. He's establishing him as the leader of the church, that priest. It isn't just leading, hey, everybody follow me, but it is much more than that. It is, I'm going to serve you so that you may know God. I'm going to teach you so that you may know God. I'm going to preach reconciliation through Jesus Christ so that you may know God. Remember this in John chapter 10 as it relates to sheep. Jesus says this, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus restores Peter. Jesus had already brought peace, and he had breathed new life on him through the Spirit. Peter had doubts if he was truly reconciled to the Father. Peter did not remember what he was for, why God had made him and his call to take dominion, to be fruitful and multiply, certainly with his family, but also with the nations that Jesus wants to bring into the fold. Remember, he says this in verse 18 of John 21, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, that is Jesus, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had said, spoken this, he said to him, that is Peter, follow me. Jesus is not necessarily saying that Peter would be crucified, but rather that Peter would die in a similar course of events. In a recent article, Peter Lightheart explains it this way. This, a death like Jesus, is true of every Christian. Our deaths take place in Christ, and whether we are martyred, die in a painful illness or an accident, or die peacefully in our beds, we die following Christ. In our deaths, listen people of God, in our deaths we glorify God and our sufferings and deaths, listen, move the kingdom forward. In terms of God's gospel, gospel, we should understand that those who gird Peter and lead him will be enemies who are putting him on trial. God's hand is behind it, but the enemies are in front. This is really important to understand. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And of course we hear Jesus saying, follow me in Luke 9. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what a profit a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. Listen, people of God. What idols are you holding on to? 
What do you think is going to profit you from doing the things of God? It doesn't help you to gain everything that you think you want. Take up your cross daily and do the purposes of God in your life. Are you living like Christ is risen? Are you thinking of how you're going to carry your cross? People of God, He is risen. We are to be reconciled. Jesus has reconciled us, his people, and we as his church through his atoning work on the cross. He has paid the price for our sins. Romans 5.10 tells us this, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation be joyful remember this Easter tide it is to encourage you that in whatever difficulties you find whatever's going on what is God doing in your life and are you about his purposes rejoice because Christ is in your life and he has forgiven you but all of this what does it even matter to what end do we hear these words are they so we could merely go to heaven? That is to say, the gospel, the forgiveness of your sins, being restored to God. Is it just simply merely so you can go to heaven? No. We are not saved from hell to heaven, but rather to the priesthood to the world. Like Peter, we've all been called to this ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who is, who has Christ, who, excuse me. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What is that? Spiritual things? No, there's no distinction. All things. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us, us, to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. What? God is pleading with you, through you to the nations. And it isn't this big thing. Think about it. Who, who are the... Go back to the, the feeding of the 5,000. Manageable sizes. Who's in your realm of influence? It's probably not 50 people. Right? But now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you. What? Paul and the others that are with him that are teaching and establishing the church says this. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now all of these things are in the final context of this. Back to John chapter 21, we see an assurance. Verse 24 says this, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And what does he say? We know. That his, that is Jesus' testimony is true. 
And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain all the books that were written. And he says, Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give thanks to you for this word. We thank you that our calling is to be your redeemed people, revealing in our being your righteousness. Mature us to love your law, so that in all things, in our obedience and faithfulness, we make plain to all men who we are and what our new creation means. Bless us in faithfulness to you. In Christ's name, amen.